Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of October 17, 2021. The following events will be held on the KCB Zoom line and are open to all who wish to attend. Join from your computer, cell phone, or landline by calling 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972 or join through the Zoom link found in the event announcement on our email list. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next Low Vision Support Group call on Wednesday, October 20 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. There were 25 people at the GLCB Roundabout this past Friday, October 15, and we had a great time sharing our favorite things. Roundabout this coming Friday, October 22, will include page turners. It's your opportunity to share good books that you have read at some time in your life. You can also talk about your favorite authors or pick up some ideas for good books to read from others. We'll be playing word and trivia games as time permits. This is an ACB community call, so be there and make some new friends with people from around the country. Roundabout is from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Looking ahead, be sure to join us for our Halloween party at Roundabout on October 29. Debbie Green from Elizabethtown, a member of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board of Directors will be leading the game. Here are the rules. 1. It's a Halloween party, so come in costume, virtual or otherwise. You can be a person, an animal, or even some kind of food. You must be something tangible, not a concept like love or fear, for example. 2. We'll take turns. When it's your turn, people will ask you questions which require a yes or no answer. That is all you can say. Max is 20 questions. 3. Your score is the number of questions it takes to guess your identity. The highest number wins. We'll recognize the first, second, and third place winners. There will be other activities at the Halloween party also, so be there for a spooky good time. The Tri-State Library users normally meet on the third Saturday of the month, but Tri-State's meeting was moved to Saturday, October 23 at 11 a.m. to avoid a conflict with the 75th reunion of the KSB Alumni Association. This month's meeting will include our book club. We are reading Meet the Austins, the first book in a series by Newbery Award-winning author Madeline Lingle. The book is available from Bookshare as well as from BART. The next Zoom event for the KCB Next Generation, our chapter for members 40 and under, is on October 28 at 8 p.m. For more information, call Ben Wright at 734-968-8211. The Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will meet on Monday, October 25 at 7 p.m. All are welcome. For more information about GDUKI, call Deb Lewis, President, at 502-721-9129. For a complete calendar 
of events sponsored by KCB and its chapters, visit our website at www.kentucky-acb.org and follow the events link. The Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation Statewide Council on Vocational Rehabilitation will hold its quarterly meeting on Monday, October 25, beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The meeting is virtual and is open to the public. If you are interested in attending part or all of the meeting, please contact Samantha Cook at 502-782-3018 to obtain Zoom information for the call. The Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association held its 75th reunion yesterday, October 16, by Zoom and on the RadioStorm.com. The day was filled with music, memories, recognitions, plans for the future, and, of course, lots of winners. There were plenty of door prizes throughout the day and at the virtual banquet. Philip Taylor from Seattle, Washington, donated many wonderful prizes, and cash prizes were provided by Bill Wright, Debbie Dethridge, and Adam Rushevel. The 50-50 drawing is always a part of the banquet, and this year was no exception. Winners were Frank Campbell from Hardshell, third place, Lonnie Swafford from Louisville, second place, and Bill Wright from Louisville, first place. For many years, the alumni has been collecting many documents and memorabilia related to the school, students, staff, and the alumni. Beginning in March of 2020, right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the alumni and the American Printing House for the Blind, with support from the KSB Charitable Foundation, began a project to support and catalog the thousands of items in the alumni archive. Now, a year and a half later, part of the collection is ready to find a new home at the Printing House Museum, and it will be preserved there for the future. Michael Hudson, director of the APH Museum, participated in our reunion yesterday and explained the scope of the project. We've included his presentation on page two, where he shares some exciting discoveries in the collection, answers questions from the audience, discusses the huge scope of work that still remains to be done, and even gives some tips on how to preserve our personal documents and memories. We remind you that Soundprints is heard each week on ACB Media 1 at the following times, Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., and Friday at 10 a.m. As always, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future shows. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. Michael Hudson, uh, of course, has worked with us quite a few years. I know he, he has met, as I said earlier in the day, with uh, Carla and Kenny and myself especially, although with other board members. And uh, we have, over the years, uh, had many programs at APH and in uh, Michael has really delved into the history of KSB. How long have you been at APH now, uh, Michael? 16 years. 
Well, I will tell you, it doesn't seem that long to me because I've enjoyed what you've done over there so much. But uh, uh, I hope the COVID things will lessen up and y'all can go back and let us use, um, you know, the facilities when and if they're available. So um, you're going to be telling us a little bit about some of our history stuff and uh, just go ahead and take it away. Okay, thank you very much. I, I don't know um, what I've done to uh, your program committee that you guys would schedule me right at the start of the UK-Georgia game. Uh, well, but, but I intend to get my revenge upon you guys. I, I, I don't know okay. what it will be, but it will be fierce and severe. <laughs> but I have, I have turned my computer so that I cannot see the television screen. And I will try to mm-hmm. try to try to keep my focus going here. So what what um, Carl and Adam asked me to do is to kind of uh, kind of summarize and go over what we've been doing over in the history room and the, this project to bring the KSB Alumni Association um, archive over to the Museum of the American Printing House for the Blind. And you guys probably know, but over the last 16 years that I've been at APH, we've been, you know, partnering with a lot of the largest and most historically significant organizations in in our in the field uh, to take over their archive function so we we are now the official archive for uh, AER and AFB and BANA and um, uh, other organizations and so it was it was a natural at some point that we probably would would partner with the Alumni Association because you guys have such a great collection. Um, so this this project started back in June of 2020, and uh, with a grant from the KSB Charitable Foundation, we hired a summer intern, Meg Outland, um, and uh, you know this was the beginning of the COVID, and so it was it really put a dent in what we were able to do that summer, Meg, because uh, Meg pretty much was. Uh, forced to pretty much work over there by, by herself. We, we, I, I was not allowed to go over there and do much supervision um, because of the uh, COVID protocols that we had at APH. And the small rooms that were working there in any ways was not really conducive to any kind of social distancing. So what Meg did was she, she first, her first job was to kind of go through the, all of the rooms up there uh, in the History House and figure out where was the KSB Alumni Association stuff. And so Turns out there were two main rooms um, that most people are, are familiar with, and then there were three closets, a bathroom, and then a bunch of cabinets in the hall on both the first and second floor. And all of these things were 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 stacked uh, to the gills with stuff from KSP history. And I think it's important for everybody in the alumni association to remember back and thank people like Adam Rushevel and Rich Morsey and Kenny Jones and, 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 and uh, Carla, obviously, and a bunch of other people who over the years have worked long and hard to save all of these things. And so we, we ought to appreciate all the work that they did to get us to the point where we were ready to, to do this project. So, so what, was, what were we doing? We were, first off, we were inventorying. What, what do we have? What, what's up, what was up there? We needed a list of everything. And we needed to assign a number to everything. We did that with paper tags if it was an artifact, you know, like a Braille writer. And then if it was a, it was a, 
archival, you know, like a, a, a file folder full of research materials that went on the file folder. And then we boxed everything and put all the numbers of everything that was in that box on the outside of the box. Right. And then we, we made a uh, Excel database and we kept track of all those numbers that we assigned. What are they? What's their date and any notes that we needed to make about them. And this was just the beginning of getting intellectual control over everything that was in the collection. Uh, then we need to do a little curation, okay? Uh, the, the, the word, the big word in museum uh, work is called connoisseurship, right? But what it really means is you can't save everything. You shouldn't save everything. But a lot of stuff had crept into your all's archives over time that, that really made it more difficult to to process and handle and preserve the collection because there was a lot of stuff in there that didn't need to be there. For instance, I think there were 15 New Hall Braille writers, okay? Uh, New Hall Braille writer was, uh, came from APH. It was made from the 40s into the 70s. And I'm thinking everyone that KSB ever had ended up in that history room, right? Well, the New Hall is not a rare Braille writer. In fact, uh, as you might imagine, since we manufacture them, we probably have 10 of them ourselves in our collection. So it wasn't a high priority to preserve those. So we saved one for your all's collection, but the others, you know, it's needless repetition. Uh, there were a lot of, there were probably, I'm trying to remember now, eight copies, maybe seven of a uh, talking book textbook called Adventures in American Literature. Uh, great book. Don't need seven copies of it. Um, there were a lot of extra copies of your uh, uh, various newsletters, both the staff newsletters uh, and uh, and uh, KSB alumni newsletters and uh, and student newsletters and newspapers and uh, uh, yearbooks. Right. So you only need to save a couple of those. Um, so we had to eliminate all that unnecessary duplication. And then also there was this thing about the library. Okay, so when you went up those stairs, the, the room that was down the hall and to the left was mostly library books, historic library books that had come from the KSB library, and they were mostly print books. Okay, these were books that really, in some cases, even predated tactile books. Uh, they, a lot of them were really old. And and so that's great, but they didn't really tell us much about the KSB experience. So we had to go through those books with a fine-tooth comb and decide what of them were just old books, great, but what, what told us something, what informed us something about the subjects that kids at KSB were studying and how they were taught, right? And so that was really a small proportion of those books. And so... Uh, we ended up just separating out a lot of those books. They're old, but they're not necessarily something that we needed to save to tell the KSP story. Um, and then there were a lot of non-alumni materials in there. Uh, when I say that, I, I, I don't mean that they didn't belong to an alumni. It's just that, the, again, they didn't tell us much. Like there was this great bell collection. Not really bells you're supposed to ring, but more like commemorative bells that people collect. If, if my mom collected uh, teaspoons when I was a kid, like when you would go to, you know, Niagara Falls, right? You'd go to the gift shop and get a teaspoon. 
and mom saved those. That's great. But, and that's what largely these things were commemorative bells, but they didn't really tell us anything about, again, what it meant to be a student or a teacher or an administrator or student life or anything about Kentucky school for the blind. Um, so we had to separate those out. That was a lot of work uh, because there were a lot of things that, that um, were, uh, were in there like that. Then we needed to rehouse everything. A lot of things were stored in really acidic boxes, uh, just normal cardboard boxes, normal office type file folders. These are all very acidic. If you leave materials in them for a long time, they start to decay, they start to break down. So we need to take them out of all those old folders and boxes and cases, like all the uh, all the AV, like cassettes and uh, uh, VHS tapes and stuff like that. They all need to be put in archival containers. Uh, you had a lot of things that were like legal size documents that were in letter size folders. So we needed to move those into legal size folders. There were a lot of posters and stuff like that that were just rolled up. So we had to flatten those and then construct big folders that would fit in a flat file to hold all those posters and prints and oversized things like that. So we had to get all moved and organized and rehoused and numbered. So that that took us, uh, Meg worked June, July and August of 2020. And then I took over for Meg once she, her internship was over. And I was, I've been working on Wednesdays pretty much every week uh, that I could get in there uh, since then. And we start, we pretty much wrapped everything up in late August, uh, this last of 2021. A lot of work. Um, so what's in the collection, right? So first off, uh, you have publications, the school newspaper, the Colonel, uh, staff newsletters, uh, like the school bell and the daily notes, in both print and braille, uh, yearbooks. I think uh, most recently it's called Visions. Um, a lot of school magazines. Uh, the, the students at the school actually edited and produced their own magazines, literary magazines, music magazines. Uh, and so we've got copies of all those. Um, uh, a lot of uh, collections of government statistics on blindness and disability, a lot of textbooks in, in, in large type and, and Braille and uh, New York Point and uh, uh, audiobooks, right? Um, then a lot of archival materials, a lot of archival records, uh, pr programs and documents from all of the sporting teams at KSB, the forensics team, the cheerleading team, the track team, uh, the swimming team, all of those uh, records from all the meets that the, the teams went to. Um, a lot of research files on various students and teachers at KSB, uh, uh, architectural drawings of the buildings at KSB, minutes from uh, uh, administration uh, meetings, teachers, that sort of thing. A lot of curriculum materials uh, where the school developed its own unique curriculum materials for students. Uh, the scouts, a couple of very significant scout troops there, both Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, lots of records there about Troop 10 and that sort of thing. A lot of theater programs, uh, musical programs, that sort of thing. Scripts for uh, those things as well. A lot of reports, a lot of news clippings where, uh, you know, somebody at KSB would, you know, uh, show up in the Courier Journal. Somebody clipped it out. It's in the collection. Invitations to various events. Lots of archival materials. Um, and trophies. Actually, a lot of trophies, um, 
uh, dating between 1905. I think the oldest one is a track uh, trophy uh, from a track meet that uh, between the Kentucky Institution for the Education of the Blind, which is what KSB was called before World War One, and the YMCA. The boys at the YMCA came over, and you guys had track meet. Uh, that was in 1905, all the way up to I think the most recent one is 2007, um, and including included in that is your uh, state championship uh, wrestling trophy, which I know uh, at one point Carl and Adam were a little afraid that it had gotten lost, but it, it was there. Um, a lot of T-shirts and hats from uh, mainly from the Roby Games and uh, uh, from the uh, uh, Junior Olympics. Uh, every year back in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, you know, there's a unique T-shirt for each one of those. A lot of those in the collection. A lot of uh, uh, technology. So a lot of Braille writers, uh, a lot of Braille and some Braille embossers and speech synthesizers and electronic magnifiers and headphones and talking book players and things like that. Um, a lot of talking books in general, both textbooks and educational programs and uh and also just recordings that were made of various programs uh, that happened there at KSB. And those came, those are on all kinds of different formats. Uh, you got them on, you know, uh, talking book records. You got them on reel-to-reel tapes. You got them on cassettes. Um, a lot of architectural fragments. It looks like, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it, this is an Adam Rushable thing, but there were also some, probably some other guys over there, that when, uh, the, when the, uh, the old KSB main building was torn down in, I think it was 67, I think. Looks like a lot of people went over there and took souvenirs, right? Pieces of the railing, the, the plaster moldings, hinges, door locks, doorknobs, all that stuff. So there's, you know, I don't, I don't think we have enough to rebuild the, the old building, but, but we, we've got a lot. Um, a lot of tactile maps in a lot of different formats, including uh, a really great set of maps that were done at the Perkins Institution during the Depression for the Works Progress Administration. And those are pretty rare. And you guys, you didn't have a complete set, but you had an almost complete set of those. Very nice. Uh, a lot of tangible ap apparatus uh, early, pre-World War II, spelling frames and handwriting guides and things like that. Photographs, okay, thousands of photographs. I don't even have a count on them. But dating from 1909, I think the earliest one in the collection is from 1909. It's a Boy Scout troop, I think, if I remember, all the way up to the present, uh, with the bulk of the collection, of the photographic collection, coming from about 1980 onward. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of work. That's going to be one of the biggest projects in processing this collection. Uh, and they come, photographs come in a lot of different forms. We've got uh, slides, we got prints. We got negatives. We got digital images. We had eight millimeter films, which I cannot wait to get those films digitized because I, I think we're going to find some awesome stuff in there. Um, so that's pretty much a summary of everything that's there. Uh, it's 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 pretty awesome and comprehensive uh, history, uh, material history and documentary history of KSB. Um, so I thought I would share just a few of my favorites uh, that were in the collection. My, I think my absolute favorite item is a certificate from 1893 where uh, the school went to the Columbian Exhibition in Chicago and uh, they had an exhibit uh, of uh, tactile maps and tactile books that were produced both at KSB by B.B. Huntoon who was the superintendent then 
Uh, those were those were carved out by hand maps, uh, puzzle maps of the various continents, and then books from APH. And you guys won a gold medal. So this is a beautiful gold certificate uh, uh, with a bunch of Greek and Roman mythology uh, wrapped into the gold medal certificate. Then uh, something odd that happened uh, back last New Year's, New Year's Day, I think, of 2021. Some jerks broke into the KSB Charitable Foundation and spent the night there robbing them, okay? And they came up to the, the history rooms and went through everything because when I, I got in there a few days later, all the boxes had been gone through, but they didn't really – that we know of, they didn't steal anything. But what they did do was yank this closet open that had been painted shut. <laughs> no lie. Meg and I could not get in this closet, but these jerks, these thieves – you know, we're going through everything. They were very, you know, methodical, and they ripped this thing open. And inside the closet was a stack of uh, talking books on phonograph records, some talking book machines, and then this accordion, okay? And it turns out that the accordion was played by a graduate of KSB, uh, and I'm going to mess his name up, Carla, but you correct me if I get it wrong, but it's Lewis Nip, okay? So Carla and Adam immediately, oh, yeah, they knew all about Lewis. Lewis, evidently, after he graduated from KSB, uh, got a job as a music teacher at, at KSB, but then, unfortunately, had a substance abuse problem uh, but uh, and, and lost his job. But he uh, and a little group played at various bars and cantinas and uh, restaurants around the Clifton and Crescent, Height, Crescent Hill area, uh, and his accordion was in there. Pretty, pretty awesome. I love that accordion. I can't wait to do something with that. Uh, then there's a wonderful letter jacket, uh, probably from the 50s or 60s from your wrestling team. We don't know exactly whose it is, or I don't. Um, and I'm, I'm, a lot of this, I'm going to be working with your your archives committee uh, to, 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 to get some of the, the uh, history that is only held right now in people's heads. Um, and then finally, there were two bugles from your Boy Scout troop. Um, and there are some great photographs of uh, uh, flag ceremonies and stuff where the kids and the Boy Scouts are playing on these bugles, you know, Reveille or whatever. So that's that's pretty much a summary of the collection. So what are we going to do with this stuff? The first thing is we've, we've got uh, uh, the first week in November, uh, myself and Justin Gardner, who's our, our – uh, our archivist and our collections manager, uh, Mary Beth uh, Williams, are going to go over with a truck and bring it back over to KSB. And uh, I know I've talked to you guys before about the Helen Keller archive, the AFB Helen Keller archive that came to us in January of 2020. But one of the cool things that we did for that project was to uh, build a new uh, storage facility with compact shelving, uh, 12 foot tall compact showing lots of extra room so we've got really great space to store the um, KSBAA uh, archive collection in in space that's temperature and humidity controlled the lights are uh, don't uh, are, are LED so no no harmful light um, and uh, really nice shelving and 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 boxes and all that stuff so then we're going to start cataloging and working with the with the collection. We have to organize everything into series, which basically means putting everything that's the same together. Um, we need to catalog everything, which means describe it, photograph it, measure it, do condition reports, um, all that sort of thing. 
and then store it um, so it can be retrieved um, so that when you want to find that letter jacket, uh, the computer tells you exactly which shelf to go to, exactly which box it's in. So re retrieval, it's just it's a matter of seconds. Um, and then, um, you know, the exciting thing that's going on at, K at APH right now is we've got a big project to build a new museum that is going to be built uh, on the front of the building on Frankfurt Avenue side. And it's going to give us an opportunity to redo our entire museum. Everything we've got now is going to be torn out. We're going to reinstall everything. So it's an opportunity to do an expanded and enhanced KSB history exhibit. Um, and, and this collection is going to give us all kinds of things we didn't have before to tell the history of the school and its students and its teachers. Um, so that's going to probably open, I'm guessing, 2025. That's my guess. Um, then we also want to collaborate with the school. Uh, Peggy and I talked a little bit about this, but we would love to work with students um, and the social studies teachers over at KSB to have, you know, students uh, work with the uh, Alumni Association to put together some little history exhibits on the history of the school. And, and we really want to get the students involved in in studying their own history and understanding that the school they attend it has this just this amazing, uh, amazing history. And it's very significant uh, institution, educational institution, not just in Kentucky, but uh, in in America, one of the earliest schools for the blind in the United States, right here in our home state of Kentucky. And, you know, Kentuckians, you know, we don't often, you know, when you look at statistics, we don't a lot of times have a lot to brag about in terms of education. So the KSB story, I think, is something that all Kentuckians can be very proud of. Um, and then uh, I know that Adam and, and, and Carla and, and, and uh, Kenny Jones are, are working to create the Kentucky School for the Blind uh, Alumni, Association, Alumni Association Historical Society and get some materials scanned and get them online. Uh, I think our priority and our initial agreement is to work on the Kentucky Colonel, the, the newspaper, get those scanned so that uh, if, you, if you're interested in seeing what was going on and, you know, 1972, what they were kids were talking about, what the editors were talking about. You can go online and in an accessible format and read those newspapers and look up your name and see what, you know, what, 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 what you, what they were talking about you in the, in the newspaper. Hope, hopefully whoever you are, it was all good. <laughs> but um, so, so that's, that's, that's pretty much what we're, we're doing. We, we, we've got a lot going on at, at APH right now, so it's this isn't anything that's going to happen overnight, but it is something that we're excited to be working with the Alumni Association to preserve these, these this collection and, and make it available for people to use. So uh, I think, uh, wow, that only took me 25 minutes, which isn't bad. So I will be glad to take questions from anybody about anything you want to talk ask about. Mike, this is Deanna. Well, I just wanted to say that Lily Knipp was my piano teacher in fifth grade. And um, we had interesting lessons because he encouraged me to play by ear, which the other music teachers did not do And uh, at, at, at that time. And then 
later Imogene Bradley did, but she wanted to make sure I could read the Braille music first. And Louis Knipp wanted me to do both. And yeah. um, he so was it's, very so it's Knipp. It's Knipp. Well, that we I don't know. We are. <laughs> it, I don't know. Really, <laughs> it was I heard, that, I heard teachers ways. say it different. I heard yeah. teachers say it differently. Okay. I heard some teachers say Knipp, and I heard some teachers say Nip. So. I don't know. So, so, so he was more of a uh, uh, play by instinct. And, and he liked and, to play, oh, no. Liked to play, no, he could play classical too, but he like he liked to play jazz and he taught yeah. me chords okay. and he, 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 he wanted me to play chords and he, he, he wanted me to play things. He was interested in what I had learned to play over the weekend, mm-hmm. probably the country music I heard on my dad's jukebox in the restaurant but that's okay um he which was very different from what he but he didn't care he he was interested in what i what i was doing and yeah we he would help me with the bro music but it was more um exploring what i i had just gotten a new piano one day we one day we opened up the piano and played the strings oh that's great that's awesome see those are the kind of memories that we need to work with with the alumni association, we need to record all that stuff because that otherwise, otherwise, Mr. Knipp is just—he's—he's he's, a—he's you know—he's dead. He's toast. He's dead dust, right? <laughs> but but when you start telling stories about him, then not only he comes to life, but that accordion comes to life when we put it on exhibit. So right. that's awesome. That's awesome. He, he called the strings. He said, "We're going to play the Aeolian harp." And I said, well, what's an Aeolian harp? And he said, I'll show you. And he opened up this piano. And he said, now, put a chord on your fingers with one hand. And then you got to reach up here. And he had to help me do it because it I was too short. Yeah. And he said, you got you to gotta play the strings with the other hand. And let's see what happens. And we did it. <laughs> that is great. Um, Tim, you can go ahead. All right. My question, Mike, is you mentioned the videotape archives and audio cassette archives. What are y'all going to do to preserve those? So that's a great question, Tim. So our first goal will be, you know, all of these magnetic um, recording technologies, whether it's video or audio, are not long for this world. Um, the magnetic medium, the magnetic tape just doesn't last. So the first thing to do is get it digitized. Um, now, now, how it will be used down the road, that's going to be something that we will be you know, probably working with the alumni association to figure out how they would want it to be shared. But um, the first thing to do is to, is to get it digitized. So um, that's what, that's, that will be our priority in the short term. And, and, you know, obviously if somebody wants to come over and view something that we have in the collection, that, that, that we have the equipment that can all be arranged. BT, you can go ahead and unmute. Hello, Mike. That's a, that's a terrific. That's a terrific project. I'm I'm really excited to hear about it. I wanted to offer another comment about uh, Louis <coughs> Knipp. Louis Knipp, who uh, was a very very celebrated uh, person uh, in his day as as a reader of braille music and as a player of braille music, he attended uh, Garden Court at the University of Louisville. Okay. Um, received a master's degree. And the most famous thing he did was to play on three consecutive days, uh, three complete recitals from memory uh, that were learned by Braille music. It was an extraordinary accomplishment. Um, anybody who knows anything about Braille music knows that it takes some time, and everything is done by memory. Mm-hmm. And whereas other musicians might uh, play 
maybe one of three recitals from memory and the other two with a score on mm-hmm. the piano. Uh, this was a remarkable feat. Um, so when it comes time to get the stories, um, you know, how can we help? Not, not that you'll want everything that, that all of us want to bring, but I, I take it there will be at some point uh, an effort to collect some of these stories and, um, uh, and uh, bring them across so that they are part of the heritage. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that we need to do, BT, is, is you guys need to see a list of everything. Uh, but it would be it would be really helpful if uh, you know the alumni association sat down and kind of you know collected those stories um, so that we can make sure that they get attached to the thing. You know, uh, right. we, we're talking about one thing, right? We're talking about one accordion. But Which there are, to bring all this up, right? Yes, exactly. But there are hundreds of things in there, right? I mean, thousands. So yeah. um, it's a it's a it's a big job. Now, now, one one great thing is that you know just the the newspapers and the uh, uh, yearbooks alone uh, inform everything else. You know what I mean? So, like, if right. you're trying to identify a a, a photograph from 1985 who's in it if you have the yearbook it you know you could sit and go and figure out who who everybody is so there's lots of things that support each other um uh you know one of the things we just need to do is make all those start drawing those connections right i just want to go back to uh, briefly to something you said earlier now that i'm older than god i remember things that nobody else remembers <laughs> i know where those bells come from um, I believe, Tell us about uh, the bells. Oh. I believe I believe are they the Helen McDaniel's? Of, I believe they're Helen Hicks's Helen McDaniel's uh, bells. She was a blind yeah. teacher uh, uh, and a, a favorite of many of us. I had her in second grade, and because she was a blind lady, she loved uh, bells for their different sounds. And that that collection represents um, all the different sounding bells that she could find. And she was um, always generous to share those. Um, with people who were interested in them. So I, I think in certain ways, don't want to lobby particularly, but I think in certain ways they did play a part uh, in the sound experiences of a lot of uh, Miss Helen's young students. Gotcha. Yes, but uh, also just to, just as one other query, BT, I don't know, did you ever know Lav- uh, Lavina Hooker? No. No, okay. okay, so I so, uh, maybe I'm not older than God and don't remember everything because she's got something <laughs> I don't remember already. Okay, well, but the reason I ask is because Lavina, who lived over here on Sycamore, uh, not in the same house as the Canips, but they they lived um, over here between Vernon and um, Clifton, and she and her husband Ernie, they, they were both blind, and Lavina had a, a massive bell collection as well. Mm-hmm. I would suspect bell collection is helen's but we you know we probably need to check somehow and check a little further see if there's some way we can identify who's it would be interesting to check into that yeah Yeah, it really would thanks michael i think one of the things that we could do as an alumni during our weekends whenever we actually do get back together and are able to do these kinds of things and Mike Hudson, of course, we appreciate all the work that you do over at APH. Um, But I think one of the things we could do as Mike is putting this collection together 
and maybe he needs to fill in the blanks on a particular item, I think a kind of a recording area or recording booth or whatever you would want to call it, where we could bring somebody in who has knowledge that they would like to share, get a recording of them telling their KSB stories or KSB memories, whatever, and then record that and see what we can associate with this collection. Or even if we don't associate it with the collection, just to have those recordings. The one thing that I love people that do these kind of things, I know sometimes people go around in nursing homes in different places and they will sit with somebody and just record their memories before that person passes away. And those memories, of course, once that person passes away are gone, like Mike was talking about earlier. And that's the kind of thing that we probably need to start doing and just kind of incorporate that in our alumni weekends is to have an area set aside where we can bring somebody in and not necessarily do like a full-scale interview, but at least to be able to say, what do you remember about whatever? And have them talk about that. What's your youngest memory or, or in that case, your oldest memory of KSB? That way we don't lose those kinds of things because you can put all kinds of stuff down on in documents and on paper but it's all of our memories and stuff that's the most important stuff and that sometimes gets totally lost every time we have one of these alumni reunions and we go through that memorial part and people are passing away there's a lot of memories there and once they pass those memories are gone forever and so we need to find some way and recording is probably the easiest way um, to capture those memories so that's something i would hope that the alumni board could take into consideration and of course, I'd be willing to help out with that project, but uh, we just need to get a bunch of people together with some recorders and capture those memories. And if, if I could interject something here, Michael is so right, because when we were at our 2019 reunion, that was the last reunion where that, that Cloyd was there. And we were um, trying to identify Eric was working on trying to identify people in pictures and get people's memories there. And the emphasis was on the pictures. But uh, Cloyd sat and talked to Eric about all this stuff uh, for ever so long that Friday afternoon. And Eric uh, came out when it was close to the time to start the, the barbecue. And he said, oh, my gosh, you know, we it, it's, it's too bad. He, he talked, It's amazing all the things he talked about. I wish we had recorded it. And that was the last time Cloyd was there. Yeah, I'm just sitting here nodding my head. Yes, I totally agree. That's that would be a that 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 kind of thing, you know, is is uh, just essential. Adam, we're going to move to you. <laughs> I want to mention we Michael just mentioned for instance our memorial service where we uh, talk about people uh, that have died during the past year and of course our association has done that at reunions probably going back how far Carly, to the 50s maybe uh, 60s um, but I do know that I have tried to record our memorial services probably for at least the last um, 45 years and uh, some of them have turned out good, some of them haven't. But, you know, I still have a lot of tapes um, that have that type of information. And the stories 
are just like what were mentioned about Louis Knipp. Uh, you know, the, um, and there's just so much history there, and yet getting that stuff digitized, um, um, you know, is so hard to do or so expensive. Um, I'm Michael, you talked about having people at the printing house, you know, that um, can bake or cook the tapes so that the coating is stabilized on them and, and where they can be recorded. And also, I know the Talking Book Library has a couple of people. I talked to Barbara Pentagor at the Talking Book Library. She said the two fellows up there that they have that have been working on uh, taking some of their open reel masters of books recorded by volunteers and getting them digitized. And she said right now both of them are in the hospital and very seriously ill with COVID. So, um, you know, it's just hard to find the expertise to do that, yet we all know that it needs to be done. And bring them to me, Adam. I will work as many and get as many of them done as I can possibly do. Yeah, but the thing is, it, you know, if they're, they're not treated before they're played on a recorder, someone can just peel that uh, coating off sometimes. And once you lose that, then, you know, it uh, can't be fixed again. This is scary. I just want to say that I'm thrilled that uh, Mike has started this transition of, uh, of moving the material over to APH because I know for a fact that he will spare no expense to preserve it and to preserve it well. And he has a beautiful room over there to uh, put a lot of stuff. So thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Gary, the way I remember it, uh, you told me to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Dragged me into your office and said, "Hudson, you're going to do this, or you can, you can walk." We had many discussions, but that wasn't one of them. <laughs> I just tease it. I love you, Gary. You're great. Yeah. But you know, uh, it, it, this is a good time. We mentioned in our uh, business meeting that you know we have our Kentucky Historical Society for the blind, and. Um, you know, uh, Gary was elected as the president of the board, and uh, I was elected secretary, and Carla treasurer, and Kenny Jones as vice president. And, of course, Michael uh, Hudson is on that board. And so I think once we uh, get that going, that's going to make a lot of difference in a lot of this stuff, too. But our alumni is certainly well represented there and, and um, Michael has uh, Hudson has been very very helping in promoting our school's history and and so on so uh, you know, we we appreciate it uh, Adam, are there any other questions that I'm not Carla has her to... hand raised okay uh, Mike I don't know if you um, <clears throat> can can answer this at this point because of course I'm sure plans are still up in the air to a certain extent uh, but when the while the new museum is being built 
Um, I assume there will not be public access to the the current museum. And at, so, at some point, that's going to be true because they're literally going to peel the entire front facade off of the front of the building. And uh, and uh, the uh, back gallery in the museum, what we call the, uh, the Callahan Gallery, they're building a skyway or a pedway from that that the second floor of that building back to the second floor of the 1960 manufacturing annex. Basically, it's going to connect the front of the building with the back of the building on the second floor. And so everything is going to have to come out of the exhibit um, and uh, to, to accommodate those those changes. And I think we're going to break ground on that, I think, next fall, probably September, October of next year. Okay. So then while that is happening, then there would there could be some time in there when there would not be access, I mean, not public access, but I would assume that museum staff might have a hard time getting to some of the collection that no, you have. Like, no, that, no, that, no, because our, our storage is actually all the way at the back <laughs> of the building. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 the Brownsboro Road parking lot, it's right there. And so, no, we'll we'll still have access to everything that's in storage. We just won't have any exhibits open to the public. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Sure. All right. Debbie, you have a question? I know that you probably don't know all of um, what some extra stuff is going to be, but um, that you may not be able to use, but um, you know what's going to happen to that stuff. I guess you'll make a list maybe and distribute it to the alumni, maybe alumni members that might be interested might be able to take some of it or do something with it. Yeah, that's your all's choice. My yeah, basic, one of the, yeah, Mike, we, we, can, we can look back at, for example, uh, last year, when we had some, and we still do have some, of the yearbooks uh, that were available, and the alumni um, used them uh, as, um, as um, well, uh, I guess you would say perks for being sponsorships of uh, some of the, the project last year, and we might do some of that with uh, some of those materials as well. I'm not sure that we need 15 Hall Braille riders. Um, I'm not sure how many people want one, but yeah. um, you know, we'll we'll have to look at what. I mean, that'll be a, a board thing. And some of those things that are in the library collection might have some value to a book collector. I don't know. So there may mm -hmm. be some some fundraising you could do there as well. I don't know. Some of them are in really bad shape. So even though you might have a book that's from say 1820, if it doesn't have a cover that, that hurts its value. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. There are yeah, no more like rec record album covers or that sort of thing. If you know, if they're in good shape, they'll bring a lot of money. If they're mm -hmm. in bad shape, they won't. They're worthless. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so uh, and another thing about library books is that if they've got the library's like call number written on the spine, that really hurts their collector's value as well. Mm 
So, yeah. What about um, um, resources for cleaning up materials? Let's say somebody has uh, something. I'll just say like a yearbook, but maybe it got a little damp at one time. Mm -hmm. I know the state library archives um, has facilities to work on materials like if if a <coughs> courthouse state gets flooded and some of their county records get uh, wet or something, they they do have a way of doing that. Uh, are there commercial places that do that, or, or yes, there are, there are. I mean, you know, the main thing is to is to stabilize it. So say if it gets wet, one of the best things you can do is to wrap it in a trash bag and put it in a freezer. And that will stabilize it until you can get it to a company that has the equipment to dry it without without it getting moldy. That's your real – your big threat a lot of times when things get wet is the mold. And they'll yeah. they'll be ruined so fast you know, before you can turn around and say Jack Robinson. So uh, um, you've got to stabilize it. So – that's why we, we advise people – I know that you know you end up storing old papers in the attic and in the, and in the basement, but really nothing you really care about should be stored there because those mm -hmm. are the two worst places to store you know, things. But you know, we all have a limited room, and so we end up sticking things right in places like the attic and the basement. But then you shouldn't be surprised when you want them later and they're ruined because you know, it's just well, bad. We just told us something – probably made worth this meeting worthwhile alone just in knowing that little trick so well my my best advice if you is if you have some family papers that are super valuable is put them underneath your bed hmm. yeah because usually your bed is the place where you you know it's the most comfortable room in the house right so it's got the most <laughs> stable environmental conditions you know uh yeah so that's 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 what I you know, and we've been doing on our social media. I don't know if I hope all of you are have liked if you if you're on Facebook or Twitter. I hope you've you've got on <laughs> and liked us because we, you know we since uh, since the end of May I guess we've been uh, had our own Facebook page for the first time and we we do a lot of things we do a lot of videos on how to preserve your family connect collections. And so there are probably six or eight videos on the on on our uh, Facebook page about that topic. Um, so our our Facebook page and our Twitter it's the same. It's APH Museum at at APH Museum at APH Museum. So if you if you use Facebook or Twitter, I hope you get on there. Like us, please follow us. And uh, you know, like every Monday we do a Monday mystery object, and people have a lot of fun trying to figure out what it is. And uh, so. You know, we we've had a lot of fun telling those stories, and and hopefully we'll start doing some KSP stuff now that once the collection arrives over at at uh, at, at the museum, we'll start doing some some Monday mystery things from the KSP collection. But I did a I did a thing on how to clean silver the other day. I don't think it's it's been posted yet to uh, to. Uh, to uh, the Facebook page. It's going to be sometime this month in October. But I, what I, what I showed you how to do was was polish and wax a piece of silver, and I used a trophy, a silver trophy, from the KSP collection oh. to do that. Because all of those trophies, if they were silver, they were all heavily, heavily tarnished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. 
Mike, what's the name of the museum? What, what is the Facebook page for the museum? At mm-hmm. the symbol at APH Museum. Okay. At APH Museum. All right. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Um, no. Well, well thank you all very much. What I would say about your initial point when you started talking is that uh, Georgia and Kentucky just didn't respect our schedule. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. They did, did they? The dirty dogs. I think. Well, I I think we can blame it on CBS then. How about that? Oh, yes. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to use your resources and knowledge and uh it's so much fun that's that's the main thing so okay thank you all very much if you have questions about the kentucky council of the blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.